From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast, right here in Southern Colorado. On the radio, 91.7 KLZR, Voice of the Wet Mountain Valley, and now on video, YouTube and Rumble, we are everywhere spreading automotive degeneracy and questionable mechanical advice far and wide. I'm your host, Matt West. We've got a packed show today. We're going to talk about the rising issue of car theft and how just this past week, uh, I had one of my cars stolen, so it's hitting a little closer to home than usual. We're going to talk about the auto theft statistics and the state in the United States that has the most auto thefts is not the one you would expect. Um, Dodge also unveils the um, new ultimate Dodge Demon, a factory version of the already quick Demon. Quick is an understatement. Uh, it runs eight seconds in the quarter mile, zero to 60 in less than two seconds. And finally, in the fourth half of the show, we're going to have a very special guest, Jimmy Ford, Pikes Peak Hill Climb driver. Jimmy Ford has announced his return to the mountain for 2023. We're going to talk to him, get an update on his plans for racing in 2023, and get an update on Bronkzilla. Yeah, listeners of this show remember Bronkzilla, longtime listeners remember Bronkzilla, and know that at the end of last year's race, uh, the engine unfortunately um, exploded in his in in Bronkzilla, his race car. So uh, word is, word is, it might be getting a little more power this year, like a lot more power. But we'll get into that. And of course, your car sounds right here. I had so many people send me car sounds uh, this week that I I just couldn't <laughs> I couldn't even keep up with it. We'll get to as many as we can in this show. Just know that if you sent car sounds in uh, and you didn't hear it. And you, and you don't hear them on this show, um, then just know that they'll probably be on next week's show. And keep them coming. Keep them coming. Oh, man, there have been some really, truly fantastic ones. So we'll get to that as well. Uh, it has been a crazy, crazy month for me. And uh, radio listeners, quick programming note here, radio listeners probably didn't notice because I ran a couple of best ofs these past two weeks uh, on the radio show. But for the podcast, I know I had to slow down a little bit. Been a nutty month. I've been filling in on uh, commercial talk radio all throughout Colorado Springs, and it has just jam-packed my schedule. And so I've been, uh, needless to say, doing a lot of talking. So I had to slow down a little bit on the podcast, but we are going to, uh, I know, excuses, excuses. We're, we're, we're going to go back into this uh, full speed. Can you believe this, by the way, just a side note, that people pay me to do this. I was hosting some talk radio stuff outside of this show, stuff that wasn't this show, which it should have been this show, and it wasn't about cars. It also should have been about cars, but I don't know. People pay me to do that. How desperate do you think the commercial the commercial radio industry is uh, that they're having uh, this guy, your favorite automotive talk show host, hosting stuff for them? I, I don't know. I guess they'll let anybody do it. <laughs> that said, we are going to fill your weekly quota of automotive degeneracy and uh, questionable advice, uh, mechanically speaking, of course. Um, now, before we do that, uh, I got to talk about this. Uh, there was a gentleman the other day who uh, got a ticket, a very questionable ticket, which uh, involved him going to uh, <laughs> uh, him going to court for a $60 ticket 
for flashing his high beams. Somebody cut him off. He decided to flash his high beams to express his displeasure at them cutting him off. I mean, he could have given them rude hand signals or other things, but he, he chose the high beams. Um, and a, a state trooper saw him do it, pulled him over instead of the guy who cut him off and wrote him a ticket for using his high beams that way, which is mind-blowing when you think about it. Now, what this guy did, though... <laughs> This is nuts. He decided that he was going to fight the ticket, uh, as many people do. And uh, he decided that he was going to fight this ticket and take it to court uh, because it was clearly a bogus ticket. But he didn't get just any traffic attorney. No, he got a national security lawyer, a very prominent one, one you may have heard of um, in the news, uh, D.C. attorney Mark Zaid, Z-A-I-D, uh, is his attorney for this traffic ticket. Now, uh, Mark Zaid has been in the media uh, frequently on television quite a bit, um, and he does a lot of things relating to uh, political laws, presidents, things like that, uh, whether that's here or there, that's, that's, that's not this. But that being said, uh, Zaid is uh, <laughs> an interesting fellow. He decided to, um, by the way, Mark Zaid, Right? $600 an hour. Can you believe that? What a flex, by the way. You get a $60 traffic ticket, and you show up to court with a national security lawyer who charges $600 an hour to fight a $60 ticket. Come on. Oh, man. Now, that being said, um, you know, and I, I will admit this. I have I've had a few traffic tickets before. I, I have a little bit of experience in this. Uh, and usually what happens, you get a you get a little traffic ticket like that and you go to court for it. A lot of people who don't who haven't done that before think that you go to court and you fight the ticket there, like at the court date on your ticket, which which just isn't true. You go there um, to either plead guilty and take a lot of times a plea arrangement with a lower points amount. Uh, maybe a lower dollar fine, whatever. Um, you do that, and then if you want to plead not guilty, if you want to say, this is bogus, I'm not paying this ticket, then you would say not guilty there, and then they would actually schedule you for an actual hearing and a legitimate trial after the fact. The little traffic court thing you go to is not necessarily, um, that's not usually where you actually fight the ticket. But that being said, I don't know if he got past that po point or if he just... Did uh, if he actually took it to trial, I don't know, but I do know that he did get out of the ticket with his national security lawyer uh, by his side. He got out of that $60 ticket, and, and you're probably wondering, well, what was the bill for the lawyer? It's right here, and uh, hat tip to uh, Lawrence Hodge from Jalopnik. Here's the bill, $7,500. Woo! Yeah, that's... Uh, that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. Now, apparently, uh, Mark Zaid actually did it out of, he decided he, that was the final bill, but he decided not to charge his client at all, uh, which was, um, which was very nice of him to do that. Cause, uh, I think, I think he probably did it more for the publicity. That's my take on this, that he, that he got his $7,500 worth of free publicity and free press. I mean, we're talking about it on this show, and other people have been talking about it too. So that's probably why that was worth it for him. But um, that's just, I mean, whether you necessarily agree with this lawyer or not, he's uh, uh, whether he's on a political spectrum that, that uh, agrees with you or not, he's definitely not for some people. Um, and uh, regardless, I think that that is, uh, that is a massive flex, that if you... <laughs> 
you get this little traffic ticket and you show up to court with this guy standing next to you. And the judge in your court, no less, knows who this guy is because he's seen him on TV. He's seen him on, on all these different nationally syndicated news shows. Um, I think that's pretty, it's a good flex. So uh, good on this guy for doing that. I, I think it's funny. I like that. And uh, I, I don't know if... Uh, if uh, Mark Zide is going to continue to represent traffic tickets for free, that might be uh, that might not make the most money for him if he keeps doing it. But who knows? It, it, I guess it doesn't hurt to uh, to ask and uh, also get out of sixty dollar silly tickets. So I, I don't know. Now, hey, we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. We're going to talk to Jimmy Ford in the fourth half of the show, and we're also going to talk about auto theft and how I had one of my cars stolen recently as well, and. Uh, I'll tell you which one that is coming up here in just a minute. In these trying times, the Speed Council needs your support. Well, mostly your money. All right, just the money. Join our Patreon today at thespeedcouncil.org to get exclusive benefits when you support automotive ADHD. Right here we are, rocketed on the Automotive ADHD show, and uh, those car sounds, by the way, were sent in by Steve. Those were, and I've talked about these before. Those were wedding burnouts. I, I think we might be starting a trend here. Uh, previously, I had a uh, listener, Aaron, send in. Uh, he sent in car sounds of him doing donuts right after his wedding. Well, Steve here. Uh, also got married and uh, took a video of him and his wonderful bride getting into his car and doing burnouts. Oh my gosh, I love that. I think I maintain, I maintain my position that wedding burnouts are donuts, burnouts, or both, either is acceptable, both is pre preferable, um, is key to any wedding ceremony and is indicative of of a uh, successful marriage for a lifetime to come. So I think this is um, this is really important. We need to spread the word that this is how weddings should be conducted. And uh, Steve was very much living up to that. And great burnout, by the way. Also, Steve, congratulations on getting married as well. Uh, and thank you for sending those car sounds into the show. Now, if you yourself would like to send car sounds into the show, you can do that. I like playing them here. And... Uh, you can send them at facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Also for this month, and I think I'm going to extend it into next month as well, um, you can get a sticker. When you send your car sounds in, you can post them on the pinned comment on the Facebook page. You post them underneath that. Uh, and then you direct message me your address, and I will send a sticker out to that address. And uh, so I'm going to be doing that for this month. The sticker, by the way, for my viewers on YouTube and Rumble, uh, looks like this on the back of my laptop. I'm pointing to it here. It is the As Heard on the Automotive ADHD radio show and podcast sticker. Very, very cool. Looks great on your car. And uh, or you could put it on things other than your car, too. But, you know, the car's one idea, at least. Um, and uh, so, yeah, do that. And so for this month, next month, I'm going to be uh, shipping those stickers out. Now, that does mean you are still entered for a chance to win. The drawing here at the end of the month is going to be for the Automotive ADHD keychain, which I've got one here. Uh, and it's also going to be for a $25 auto parts store gift certificate. So a uh, little, little drop in the bucket. Every little bit helps. 
And uh, But yeah, send those car sounds in. I want to hear them. Tell your friends, hey, my car was on this radio show, car show, talk show thing. And they'll nod at you blankly and just, no, no, you've got, you've got better friends than that. So um, now I got to talk about, uh, before we talk about Dodge and their, uh, their new Dodge Demon, the fastest one they've ever built. The next one is always the fastest one they've ever built. But, um, but that being said, I got to talk about this first. Speaking of muscle cars, uh, there is a guy with a very, very underrated YouTube channel where he does some really cool stuff. Uh, he's a gentleman by the name of Tim Roman, and he likes to convert things to be all-wheel drive. Things that didn't start out life as being all-wheel drive. Yeah, so uh, his current project, his YouTube channel, by the way, has um, uh, <laughs> 2,500 uh, subscribers. And I think, I, I mean, he's got a subscription from me on this, absolutely, because what he's doing is absolutely insane. It is called No Production Value Garage, and he is currently converting a 2017 Ford Mustang GT, that is the S550 generation of Mustang, to be all-wheel drive. Like, I, is it even possible? Well, it is, because he's, he's, he's done it. And uh, what he's done is he's got a uh, custom transmission setup going to a different uh, uh, transfer case, or not even a different one. The, the car didn't have a transfer case to begin with, so he has also included a transfer case that then goes up and goes to a custom suspension setup in the front because the front wheels of a Mustang are not designed to... Uh, handle power. They're not designed to have power going through them. All the suspension up front is not designed for that. So he's got custom spindles that he's made, custom uh, control arms, all this different stuff to actually handle the uh, the torque and power going now to the front wheels. And uh, he's using the diff, the front diff, out of a um, late 80s Toyota pickup or Forerunner. They switched to uh, independent front suspension uh, in the uh, late 80s on those. And uh, apparently it just holds up to the power, which is, uh, which is interesting. And, um, and he says there's a variety of gear ratios available for it too. So it's a, the, the diff, the front diff from a late eighties Toyota pickup, he said is the ideal candidate for this Mustang all wheel drive project. And he, um, he's, uh, uh, looking at doing some crazy stuff with it. Now, bear in mind, this Mustang has a V8. It's a five liter V8, which he says is, um, probably going to get twin turbos down the road. So what he is building here, okay? Like, you're like, okay, yeah, cool. It's an all-wheel drive Mustang. Um, what he's building here is really the American GTR. He is building the American Nissan GTR. The Nissan GTR is a powerful, fast, all-wheel drive sports coupe. And he is truly building the American version of that. And I think it's fantastic. Um, and I think it's going to be insane, especially if he plans to drag race it. All-wheel drive, those all-wheel drive launches. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be nuts. Just saying. I mean, he's he's going to hook up right away. It's going to be really cool. Um, also, this thing maybe might do all-wheel drive burnouts. You chain it down and you do all-wheel drive burnouts. Now, come on. Come on. All-wheel drive burnouts, That that's cool. No one can tell me otherwise that that is cool. I mean, just just saying. So, uh, yeah, I would suggest, um, and, and not that I've, I've talked to him or anything, but I'm just giving him the endorsement here. Uh, I would suggest you very much check out his YouTube channel. He details a lot of the build process, a lot of the nitty gritty technical stuff. I mean, he's not 
even necessarily using off-the-shelf parts in many of these cases. He's having to do things um, like machine his own custom spline uh, input shafts and stuff. Like he's doing some really cool technical stuff. So if that's something that interests you and or if you just are interested in an all-wheel drive Mustang, which is absolutely nuts, uh, you need to check it out. Again, that is uh, No Production Value Garage on YouTube and um, very cool there. I, uh, I'll reach out to him. We'll see if we can invite him on the show, get him on the show to uh, talk about some of his projects. I, I don't make any guarantees, but I'll at least reach out to him. So that'll, uh, that'll be cool. Now, I want to move from one cool V8 car to another cool V8 car. Uh, arguably, um, the all-wheel drive Mustang is cooler than even the Dodge Demon, but I digress. Uh, the fact is, uh, Dodge has now just announced a new Dodge Demon called the Dodge Challenger Demon 170. And the 170 is now the fastest uh, Dodge Demon that they make from the factory with a warranty, which this also must be rubbing current Dodge Demon owners a little bit the wrong way because they spent a lot of money to get their, you know, one of 3,000 Dodge Demon, you know, which, uh, by the way, the Dodge Demon came out last um, in 2018. Can you believe it's already been five years since the Dodge Demon came out? I Time flies by, I'm just saying. But uh, that being said, the Demon 170 now, um, it does. This is and okay. Bear in mind, this is this is a street car, street street car in air quotes. Um, and it runs on the factory from e, on E eighty five. It does zero to sixty in one point six six seconds. It does an eight second quarter mile. It is the first eight second production car in history, and it makes one thousand twenty five horsepower. And somewhere between all of that, they managed to fit a warranty in it. In it, I, I don't I don't know how they did that, but um, alas, Dodge has. And uh, yeah, quarter mile time, eight point nine one seconds at one hundred and fifty one miles per hour. It has uh, skinny tires up front from the factory. Now they're not quite skinnies in the front as you would think of on a on an actual drag car. Um, they are skinnier than the tires you would have on the regular V eight Challengers, um, but they apparently are about the same width as the tires you would have on the front of a V six Challenger. So they're not actually that skinny, probably because Dodge can't sell you true skinnies up front for safety reasons and regulation reasons. They probably can't do that. But this car has a trans brake still like the regular Dodge Demon. It has a three liter supercharger, which is the largest ever put onto a production car. That is like having an entire, I'm looking across the garage here at a, at a you know, crusty, broken Toyota 2J. Uh, that's like having an entire 2JZ for a supercharger, displacement-wise at least. 2J is three liters. This is three liters. It's like, I mean, it's like having that bolted to the top of your engine, which is nuts. Uh, now, you're probably wondering, where does this come in price-wise? It's not cheap, but um, Dodge has this listed at an MSRP of $96,666. They had to get the 666 in there because it's a Dodge Demon. Yeah, that's, this is Dodge's marketing at its finest for you. And um, now, will any of these actually sell at MSRP? No, of course not. No one's going to, no one is, literally no one's going to get one at MSRP. But the MSRP price is, yeah, it says 666 in it. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Uh, at least Dodge is doing more of this stuff than the, um, uh, than, than the stupid EV Dodge Challenger thing that growls at you and, and sort of revs at you 
it's an EV that revs. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't get it. Uh, see my uh, see my podcast a couple weeks ago about the um, how Dodge has the uh, EV Ram that they're calling the Ram Rev, despite the fact that it cannot rev. There is no engine for it to spin. There's no revolutions, but whatever, whatever. You know what? Um, the fact is that Dodge is still making, despite all this weird EV stuff, they are still making insane muscle cars. Um, and uh, this is going to be, they say this is going to be the final challenger after 15 years on the market. Um, I don't really believe that. I think their challenger brand, especially with V8s will continue. Uh, I think, I think, and I've talked about this before, this is, this is very characteristically Dodge where they um, create some false demand by saying, this is going to be the last challenger ever made or the last, last of this challenger. And then everyone says, oh my God, this is the last one before they go to EVs. And then what do they do? Here's another one. They just, they, they've already said they were going to make the last challenger. And now this is the last, last challenger. I mean, think of it like, think of it like rock stars, right? Think of it like Aerosmith, for instance. Um, how many times have they done a finale tour? I mean, come on. They, they always come back and do another one. Um, a couple years ago, I was working at a rock radio station, and uh, we were doing an event, uh, and a listener came up, and we were giving away tickets to the, what was it? It was the last, it was the last Aerosmith, um, you know, finale concert, and we were giving away those tickets, and this guy came up, and he won them, and, uh, and I was like, oh, cool, are you excited to see, you know, Aerosmith, their last you know, tour. And he's like, Oh dude, I've seen like the past three tours. I've, I've done all their finale tours <laughs> and it goes to show that like, they're going to keep doing them. They're, they're literally going to keep doing them. And I think it's the same thing with, with Dodge here and the challenger and they're doing this. I mean, they're, they're literally doing this to drum up demand. Uh, there's already fantastic demand for their vehicles. Um, but they're doing this to just drum up hype and marketing. This is all part of that. Now, the fact is they are making a production car that does, that has a thousand twenty-five horsepower, does an eight second quarter mile, which much like the original Dodge Demon, um, you can't actually drag race it anywhere because it doesn't come from the factory with a roll cage or a parachute, uh, items that they can't actually sell you on a road car. Um, and according to the NHRA, um, you can't, run a car that does less than a nine second quarter mile without a roll cage. So you can't, so, so you're going to buy this Dodge demon and then you can't actually use it anywhere. Isn't that amazing? Um, that being said, Dodge will sell you a roll cage through their uh, direct connection performance parts catalog. Um, but they can't actually sell the car with the roll cage in it. I'm sure, I'm sure the lawyers got their hands all over that. Um, and I think, and I think a lot of people, and probably for a good reason, uh, I think a lot of people don't understand that roll cages, uh, can actually be really dangerous and normally think, oh, a roll cage is going to save me in a crash. It's, it's fine. It's, it's a safety, it's a piece of safety equipment. And yes, it is. But if you are driving a car with a roll cage without a helmet on, um, that's very risky because if you shift or anything in your seatbelt, uh, you know, your harnesses, whatever, and you hit your head on that roll cage, um, you can get a very, very bad, sometimes lethal head injury from bonking into your roll cage that otherwise wouldn't be there because your head would hit nothing without the roll cage. You would clear the roof of the car. It wouldn't be hitting a roll cage. So, um, 
So with that, roll cages can be, I, I do see the liability in selling a roll cage for a streetcar. Uh, that said, yes, you can do padded roll cages or just wear a helmet and a Hans device, which that's another, that's another thing, by the way. Um, having harnesses in streetcars. Now, some harnesses, multi-point racing harnesses are designed for street use. They're designed to have a certain amount of give to them so that you don't break your neck in a crash. Um, but typically speaking, harnesses in streetcars are also a bad idea. Um, because if they, they cinch you down to that chair, there's no given them. There's no designed give in these harness in many of these harness designs. Um, meaning that when you get into a crash, you, your head continues going forward and you could, you can break your neck. So that's why racing drivers have the harnesses, the helmet, and then a Hans device, which is a, a device that, um, goes from the helmet connects down to essentially a neck brace that goes underneath the harnesses. So the harnesses are holding the neck brace down and the neck brace is tied to the helmet. That's about, that's essentially the best description I can at least give of a Hans device verbally. Um, and so I'm getting off topic here, but yeah, a, uh, a car with a cage and harnesses from the factory, I can understand why they can't sell that as a street car. That being said, you want to put a cage in it? Go put a cage in it. They have a bolt-up cage. It'll just go into it. So um, that I think is, uh, that that is good. That that is good, and I think it is amazing that Dodge is still selling cars like this. Um, I mean, where's where's Chevy? Chevy, where are you? Where's Ford? Yeah, Ford's got the GT five hundred, but it's uh, it's not a thousand twenty five horsepower. It isn't. So um, I'm just saying, Chevy, Ford, you got to step the game up. We need to start the muscle wars again. That is what is going to save. Um, automotive enthusiasts for decades to come. A revival of the muscle wars. It currently dodges dodges fighting in the muscle wars right now, but with themselves. They're just having to top their own cars. No one else is doing it. Um, so I think that that this is uh, you know I think this is something that needs to happen. We need more of this. Chevy needs to do something. Ford needs to do something. Are they going to do anything with their corporate and their marketing departments telling them no 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 EV EV EV. Well, wait, I don't know if they're going to do anything, but clearly Dodge is doing something because Dodge is a little crazy sometimes, and I like that about Dodge. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, this, by the way, the Dodge Demon 170, does that mean they're only going to make 170 of them? I, I don't I, I don't know. I actually don't know. Um, they, uh, Dodge has been known to do these demons in a pretty low production run, and I wouldn't be surprised if this production run is actually lower than the, um, than the original um, demon, but um, that is that has yet to be seen. I am very happy, at least, that this car exists. Will I own one at any point? Probably not, but the mere existence of it makes me happy, and hopefully it brings you uh, some sort of satisfaction that the muscle car is alive and well. Now, don't go anywhere. We are going to talk about some surprising car theft statistics, how one of my own cars was stolen, and in the last half of the show, Jimmy Ford is going to join me right here. It's Automotive ADHD. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharge BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. 
but no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. More information is available on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. That was legendary. Those car sounds came in courtesy of Jacob. That is his, wait for it, five-cylinder rabbit. You weren't expecting that, were you? And he was racing it at a rallycross event held at the Pikes Peak International Raceway. How cool is that? Right here in my own backyard, PPIR is a great motorsports facility. Uh, I run a lot of events there from their uh, from their. Their uh, autocross events, the SCC autocross events that are held there, uh, track attack, which is like autocross, time attack, and uh, the uh, open lapping there. So uh, PPIR, great venue, but also they do rally cross too, which is something I haven't had a chance to get into yet. Jacob, uh, sounds like he is having a blast doing it. So, I mean, you could literally hear all the dirt and rocks and everything uh, kicking up against the car there. I thought that that was awesome. Now, if you want to send your car sounds into the show, you can do that. I can only encourage you to do that. And you don't need to be doing anything crazy. You don't have to be racing uh, at a rally cross event. You can just send a sound of your car idling in, doing whatever. So uh, I will play them on the show. Just know that. So send those car sounds in facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. So um, I got to talk a little bit here um, about how the car theft nationally here in the United States is on the rise and, uh, and how Colorado is now the capital for car theft in the United States, which was mind blowing. Cause I was searching all these car theft statistics and, and I was thinking like, Oh man, these I'm trying to find something national. I'm trying not to find something local. I want to see some national statistics. And I kept seeing Colorado, 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 I mean, come on, you think it would be like New Jersey or something. Sorry if you're from New Jersey, but like New Jersey or like New York and the Bronx or something like that, right? It's it's not, though. It's not, though. And that's evidenced by the sad news that I have to bear that weighs heavily on my heart, which is that um, one of one of my vehicles in the fleet is no more. It is no longer with me. Now, it is not the guest 2000, which is sitting nice and fine right here by itself. It is um, not the 86, which is sitting across from me over there. Um, at least they couldn't take the S2000 because it's not driving right now, so I, they really couldn't steal it if they wanted to. Um, but it's my uh, 1977 American Motors Hornet, of all vehicles, that was, uh, that was stolen. Tragically, in the night, uh, thieves came in around 2 in the morning. It was all caught on security camera. Took them two minutes to get into the car and drive away with it. And uh, it's odd to me that they would have chosen that car. Um, but, uh, like I said, you know, it's, uh, it here and I actually, let me grab this real quick. It's sitting across the, the studio garage over here. Hold on. Here it is. This is my <sighs> bill of sale for the car. I'm showing it to the viewers on YouTube and, and rumble. This is my oil soaked, <laughs> very oil soaked, uh, bill of sale for the AMC, which, um, I bought a couple years ago for the whopping sum of $400. I mean, a real, uh, real financial loss. I mean, I, I may not fi financially, I may not recover from this. Um, and, uh, I don't know how this bill of sale got so greasy. Well, it was, it's probably in the AMC. That's why it happened. But, uh, but that's, that's one of those things that 
you know, at some point in your life, it might happen to you. And it just was my turn in this case. Now, that being said, I, um, I've prepared a eulogy for the AMC. I've got it right here. Um, so if you'll, if you'll hear, humor me, let me, um, let me read the uh, eulogy for the car. Give me just a second. <clears throat> here lies my 1977 American Motors Hornet. Well, I, I actually don't know where it is. So um, somewhere lies my 77 Hornet, no doubt in the hands of thieves who are enjoying it more than I am. They're enjoying how even with the original carburetor, it somehow still started every time on the first bump of the key. Probably why it was so easy to steal. Scratch that, um, first bump of the screwdriver, we'll say. Now, the car lived a long life, 46 years. Jimmy Carter was president when it rolled off the line at American Motors. To this day, one of the greatest auto manufacturers. And since then, it's seen seven other presidents, the fall of AMC, the subsequent resurrection of the company, and once again, the fall of AMC. In those 46 years of existence, the venerable AMC Straight Six received at least one or two oil changes, all that was necessary for an engine that some say is almost as reliable as the Ark of the Covenant itself. When it left all too early, the heater still didn't work, so I take solace at least in knowing that wherever those thieves are, that at least they're cold. Almost divine retribution, you could say. I have many fond memories of the car, how a leak in the power steering hose would spray fluid directly onto the exhaust manifold, causing a spectacular fire only on sharp left turns. That, of course, was until I replaced the line. And how the one time in its, in its existence that it failed to start was because of a battery cable that had finally disintegrated, succumbing to the sands of time and corrosion. An easy fix nonetheless, but the car that day was likely protecting me from getting into a catastrophic wreck. It wasn't fast, it didn't handle well, but damn it, it was a good car, and it will be missed. <laughs> gotta, gotta wipe a tear away here. Now let's, uh, let's, have a, let's have a moment of silence for the AMC. Just a moment. Okay, so um, yeah, I th thank you for humoring me on that <laughs> there. Um, and it's, uh, it, is a, it is a tragic loss, um, but I do, I do wonder... Um, really what prompted the thieves, aside from that car being an easy one to steal, uh, I mean, it predates transponder keys significantly, but I, I really do wonder what drew them to that car because it's old, it's unusual looking, it's bright orange. It, to me, seems like a conspicuous car um, to steal. I mean, typically people steal cars for use in other crimes. They'll steal a car to go commit other crimes with it, um, likely the car that they, uh, the thieves drove up in was also stolen. Um, so I, I don't really know. It's again, just too conspicuous. It's old. Uh, when I was filing the police report, I had to explain to the police officer, uh, what American motors was that this is an AMC Hornet. He hadn't heard of AMC. Um, so he's well, he literally said, he's like, how will I recognize it? If I see it, what should I look for? And I, and I said, it's unusual, it's really old looking, and it's bright orange, but it looks nothing like a Chevy, Ford, or Dodge from the 70s. It's different. And, uh, and that goes to my point, which is, if you're going to commit other crimes with it, why would you pick that? Why wouldn't you pick a gray 1999 Honda Civic? I, I don't understand that. Um, also, 
I bet the thieves were a little disappointed to find the holes of rust in the floor. Like you could kind of like Flintstone the car around, kick your feet out. Um, or the, the fact that like nothing in it worked. Um, but uh, I don't know. And it was even more perplexing. Um, the car was missing. I had taken off the driver door handle to replace it. And I hadn't actually put it back on yet. So the only way in the car was to reach your hand into the gaping hole in the door and actually know in the dark where to grab the latch striker and from the inside of the door handle, pull the striker up so you could open the door from the outside. I, to me, again, very, very strange circumstances. Um, and it is it is sad to see the car go. Um, truly speaking, I'm not out that much money. I put a battery in it, a power steering line, some other stuff here and there, but it's not that bad. And I mean... Talking about first world problems. So, yeah, my car got stolen and I drove one of my other seven cars to work the next day. So what can I say? It's, it, it, you know, there's, there's definitely people out there who it would have hit harder. And, uh, and I think that's one of the tragedies of car theft is uh, I'm in a position in my life where that wasn't actually that. It, did, it was a minor inconvenience. It's sad, but it was a minor inconvenience. And, that, and that's what breaks my heart about car theft because um, a lot of people who have their cars stolen, it's not a minor inconvenience. It's their only car. It's how they get their kids to school. It's how they get to work after driving their kids to school. It's their only car, and they might not have enough money to replace it. They probably didn't have the money to have full coverage on it. So insurance just tells you, oh, well, in my case, I, I only had liability coverage on the AMC, which means that the insurance company will do, I, I get nothing. I don't get anything, but that's it. I wasn't that, <laughs> I wasn't that much money into it. So, uh, so I think that's the tragic thing here. Now, car theft is absolutely categorically on the rise across the entire country. And as I mentioned here at the top of this segment, um, Colorado is now the car theft capital, which is uh, interesting. So um, according to the Colorado Springs Gazette, local paper out here, um, they talked about um, how the Denver area has seen an increase in car thefts of 35% over the past couple of years. And vehicle thefts jumped from 377 uh, per 100,000 people in 2019 um, now to, and this is for the whole state, uh, now to 636 car thefts per 100,000 people as of um 2021. That's the most recent statistic there. And that's uh, statistics from the Department of Public Safety. Um, and that also puts Colorado um, at the top, the the truly the top of the country right now for car thefts. And you, and you might wonder why that is. Why, why is Colorado, of all things, the center for car thefts? Why isn't it New Jersey? Why isn't it New York? Why isn't it, I don't know, you know, somewhere right next to the Mexican border, somewhere in Arizona, they take the cars right into Mexico. Um, it's it's likely, and this is this is what I at least surmise from this, uh, and some people have also kind of come to this same conclusion, um, it, it is that Colorado is right in the middle of the United States. We're smack dab in the middle of the country. We are the most landlocked state you can get. Um, and because of that, though, uh, we also have a couple of major interstates that run through Colorado. Uh, Interstate 25 runs from Texas through Colorado all the way up to northern Boulder. We've got Interstate 70 that runs the entirety west to east um, and right through Colorado, west coast to east coast, smack dab through Colorado. So we've got I-25 and I-70 intersecting here in Colorado. And it's very easy to think that you can steal cars here in Colorado and very quickly 
very quickly, in the span of a night, get them into another state, two states over, whatever, and uh, where they will never be seen again. Or perhaps going down towards the, um, the Mexico border again. Uh, a lot of these cards are probably going into, not New Mexico, but Mexico proper. Um, and, uh, and that's very likely what's, what's happened. Now, like I said, um, this car theft, uh, car theft in general, um, really disproportionately hurts people who can afford it the least. If you can afford it the most, having your car stolen is an insignificant thing. Now for me, if I had my, my one halfway decent vehicle, my Tacoma, if I had that stolen, that would, that would be a bit of a, a financial burden. That truck was like 26 grand used and, and that would, that would be a little tougher pill to swallow than, uh, looking at my AMC here, uh, $400. Um, but that being said, um, it, it, it definitely affects people who can afford it the least. And this is now reflected too, um, in a current bill that is being proposed. Um, and, uh, uh state Senator Rachel, uh, Zenzinger, um, a Democrat from Arvada, and uh, Bob Gardner, a Republican from Colorado Springs, uh, introduced a state bill uh, that would, uh, it's his Senate Bill 23-097. Uh, and what Senate Bill 23097 does is something I think a lot of states should consider. It ups the penalty for car theft. Um, it ups the penalty drastically to basically saying that any car theft uh, is a felony, regardless of the value of the car. Um, and um, uh, uh, Representative uh, or State Senator um, Zenzinger said, quote, a stolen car represents more than stolen property. It impacts people's ability to get to work, shop for gro groceries, and live their daily lives. Exactly. It, it, and I agree with that. This is, this is something, for one, this bill is very bipartisan. We have a Republican and a Democrat both backing this bill. Um, very bipartisan because car theft affects everybody equally. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you sit on. It affects every everyone. Anyone who has a car has the capacity to have that car stolen from them. Um, and um, and this bill would aim to increase the penalty for that. And I, I think this is, I support this bill. Uh, and we don't get too into politics on this show. Um, I support this bill. And I would support this even had my car not been stolen. Because the fact is that the car theft stuff is on the, I mean, rampant compared to where it was in years prior. It has only gone up. We've only seen this too. I've talked about on the show before with the Kia boys, the Kia boys, TikTok trend where these guys, um, steal cars with, uh, steal Kias specifically Kias and some Hyundais, uh, using a, uh, USB cable. They have found the ability, a way, a, a, an exploit, if you will, that allows them to steal modern cars that use transponder keys, no less. Transponder keys, by the way, um, if you're unfamiliar, I have my uh, keychain here. Uh, all of these old school keys that are flat metal, there's no plastic on them. They're they're just keys. They they physically interact with the lock tumblers in the the ignition. That's all they do. My Jeep key, the Volvo 240. The AMC key. Oh, that's sad. Um, and then the, the 86 key, which has a little plastic nub on it, but there's no transponder in there. More modern keys from the late 90s and 2000s are thick. They are really thick. And that's because there is an electric electrical device in there that communicates with the ECU to prove its authenticity, to prove that it's not just a screwdriver being forced in the lock cylinder, just breaking the lock cylinder and starting the car. Um, even more modern cars now, obviously, with... Um, 
keyless access and, you know, um, you know, keyless start, push button start. Um, they, they'd go about that, but in a different way. But it's the same idea that without the actual key, you can't just hotwire the car because without the key and without the signal from the transponder or the, um, you know, keyless start, without either of those to tell the ECU that this is a authenticated start, yes, you can hotwire, you can wire the starter motor to turn over, but that doesn't mean the fuel pump's going to come on or the ignition is going to come on. It doesn't mean it's going to do that. But that being said, with the Kia boys, somehow, thanks to some gross difference in design, somehow Kias can, some model Kias can be started without the transponder key present whatsoever, which is mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, and that's, but that, I mean, that the Kia boys trend on the internet is purely exemplary of the fact that car, th- car theft, theft and crime in general, um, has been on the rise. I find this interesting, tying, tying this back to um, Colorado, um, because uh, back in 2021, our Colorado governor, Jared Polis, um, signed a law, uh, signed a bill into law um, that downgraded, in 2021, he signed a bill that downgraded the range of criminal penalties, this is according to the Gazette, uh, for certain crimes, including auto theft. But now he's changed his tune on that, maybe because you've seen what happens when you do that. Theft goes up when you do that. Um, And uh, he now says, quote, that he endorses the state's efforts to, quote, get tough on auto theft sentencing. Um, And again, I, I couldn't agree with him. I couldn't agree with uh, this bill as a whole. I don't necessarily agree that our governor was flopping back and forth on this issue, but all that really matters at the end of the day is that um, that we get the issue dealt with. And I think this Senate bill definitely does that. And I, I definitely think that um, other states that have high car theft rates, I mean, it's across the country. Like I said, they're stealing cars here in Colorado to send them across the country, to send them out of country. Um, if you're in another state, it's by no means... Um, you know, it's not exclusive to Colorado. <laughs> I assure you, I assure you of that. Um, and uh, by the way, in total, 4,000 vehicles are um, stolen per month, according to statistics on the uh, Rocky Mountain Insurance Information Association. Um, and uh, thefts are on track to exceed 48,000 thefts um, for the year, which again is an all-time high here. Um, and the value of stolen vehicles in the country is estimated between $468 million and $843 million, um, which is mind-blowing. When you think about car theft, how profitable can it be to steal old cars? Clearly very profitable. I mean, we're talking nearly a billion-dollar industry in the United States is the car theft industry. I mean, it's uh, we're talking, I mean, it's it's massive. It's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, you talk about billion dollar industries, right? You think of drug trafficking, you think of these different things. Car theft is one of them. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, yeah, if you want to, uh, if, if you want to, you know, avoid getting your car stolen, um, again, I think the best piece of advice I can offer here is, um, just, just have a car that doesn't run. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the best one. Just have a car that doesn't run. None of my cars that don't run have been stolen. So I guess that's that was the major fault of the AMC was that it just ran too well. So I guess, and I take fault for that. I take criticism for that. So anyway, hey, coming up in the next half of the show, Jimmy Ford, Pikes Peak Hill, tri- Hill Climb driver, rather, joins me right here.
ride? Let everyone hear that horsepower on the Automotive ADHD Show. Just head on to Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD, leave a like, and submit your car sounds. Best of all, get a special as heard on the Automotive ADHD Show sticker when you participate through the month of April. Show us what you got at Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD and rev those engines up for the world to hear. And my next guest is someone listeners of this show may recognize. He holds several titles to his name, racing in the Colorado Hill Climb Association. He's also competed in the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. He was there last year with Bronkzilla, which that, that might give away who, who we're talking to today. Jimmy Ford, welcome back to Automotive ADHD. Thank you. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Really excited. Firstly, an exciting announcement, which is that you are going to be returning to America's Mountain this year. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, they're giving us another shot at Pike Peak again. So uh, we're uh, in the process of getting an engine put in it and doing a bunch of work to the Bronco to get it a little bit more um, feasible for Pike Peak. Absolutely. Now let's... Uh, so let's let's recap a little bit too on last year as well. Um, last year was your first time there. It was also my first time being around the race and kind of participating in that sense. And you know there were some challenges with the weather and some other stuff. Tell me a little bit about last year for listeners who maybe aren't up to speed on that. Oh man, last year it was uh, when we took off from the start line. It was definitely foggy on the bottom. Um, fog started to clear up once we were rising above the fog getting up to past picnic grounds and a little past um we were coming up to a 11 mile water station and uh the engine blew on us so i it, it was it was done for us they were racing all the way to the top they didn't shut the race short but we uh we didn't make it there oh man yeah and i remember the weather was the weather was really challenging um for for everyone that was one big challenge i mean you know guys couldn't see where they were going and I remember one one guy. I can't remember his name now. He was uh, he went through one of these corners and just kind of miscalculated where he was because of that fog, and he took a tumble down the hill and then landed on his wheels and <laughs> just kept driving. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but it was video. yeah that one that one was nuts too. But um, yeah. but but Pretty the fact wild. was too. You know, I mean, it was it was challenging because of the weather, um, and then there was also some of the mechanical challenges. Um, two that happened, and uh, let's let's talk a little bit about. So you've you've had a couple months now uh, to really kind of dig through Bronkzilla and kind of figure out what what exactly happened with that. So I, I I was thinking that maybe we broke a camshaft or something like that, but um, actually uh, when I tore it all apart, there was a uh, connecting rod number seven connecting rod. Um, failed on us so it made a disaster out of the the entire engine uh, oh man yeah i don't know if it stretched or what happened and just tore tore it up um the, the rod broke and then crank came around and hit the rod and beat it into the block and so on and so forth you know it, it, it destroyed everything in there it didn't make a hole in the block but um there was no sight holes sight glass for the engine block but it definitely uh cracked some stuff inside of there Oh, that's rough. Yeah. And and uh, do you think you think it was just maybe stress on the engine, wear and tear, anything? 
it, it was yeah. was it hard to just kind of see what caused it? Yeah, it was kind of hard to see what caused it because you know, like even when I took the rod bearings off of all the other um, rods, they looked pretty dang good. It was just that one rod was failing for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why, but I didn't. Oh man, that. Yeah, that, that rod it just it just left the chat. It just no yep. is what <laughs> exactly. It, <laughs> yeah, it said I'm done. Part, this is it. The sad part oh. was they were pretty nice titanium rods, so that was that was the really sad part about it. You know, <laughs> yeah, titanium rods no less too. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, and uh, well, so that that brings me to the next question then, which is. Where is Bronczilla now, and what are you doing? What's the plan for this year for Bronczilla? So right now, we got everything torn out of the Bronco except for the body. Everything's torn off of it right now. We're, we're trying to get things lower center of gravity. I mean, we're, uh, every little ounce we can get lower center of gravity, that's, that's what we're doing. Kind of stuff that we didn't really have time to do before Pike Peak last year that we have a little time to do right now while we're um, – in this engine and uh the engine that we got is a uh, 410 cubic inch ford um it used to be a, a world of outlaw engine that we purchased from um kind of a friend of a friend so we got the block here with um and ironically all of our our intake will fit on it and stuff like that the salvageable parts that we had off of our other engine will fit on it so but it makes about 150 to 175 horsepower more than our last engine and it's about 100 pounds lighter because it's an aluminum block so we're excited about wow. that yeah wow that's really cool um so more power and more lighter is always better that's that's already a win right there yeah exactly <laughs> wow now that's yeah. gonna be crazy i remember i was uh i was standing on the side of the road uh with my camera and stuff on one of the practice days and you flew past me and oh my god I mean, last year with your with your setup last year was insane. I mean, it was it was you. I could I could literally feel the car coming through the like the vibrations in the ground yeah. before that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So the the car was already absolutely mental, and so you're just cranking that up to eleven now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've been able to turn it up to eleven now. <laughs> oh man, I I love it. I love it. What other uh, modifications um, have you had to make now? Because I know. You, um, you know, the car started out as a car for um, hill climb racing on dirt. So you did a lot of stuff to convert it to racing on the um, the pavement, the tarmac in there. Uh, is there anything else now that you're doing, like, say, suspension wise to the car? Um, actually, I'm trying to get it to where we can get. Last year, we we ra- re- uh, excuse me, sorry, we raced with a 12 inch wide tires. Um, okay. I'm trying to get it to see if we can get like a. 14 or a 15 inch wide tire underneath of it right now we might have to do a little bit of flaring on the fenders to get it to fit but you know the, the wider the rear tire the more traction we can get coming out of the corners and stuff is which is kind of where we struggled a little bit last year that and a little bit down on horsepower um you know down on horsepower meaning those guys are running a thousand twelve hundred horsepower and we're, we were at 650 last year so you know trying to crank it up a little bit awesome is there uh is it might be too early to ask but is there any plan for forced induction um, we, we had really considered that, um, the problem with, uh, forced induction is when, when we do decide to take the Bronco back to the dirt, um, our class rules won't allow us to have forced induction. So that was, you know, one of the limiting factors for us. So we decided to stay naturally aspirated. We're going to still run the carburetor on alcohol. So 
everything will be similar to that as we were last year. But, um, yeah, I don't think we can go forest induction right now at the moment unless some changes with our uh, dirt program rules. Gotcha. And that's kind of neat to think about, too, that, you know, this this car you're running on Pikes Peak is it's not a one-off just for Pikes Peak. I mean, you use this for dirt racing, use it for all sorts of stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, that's the cool thing about it. It's uh, It's got many uses to it. I mean, it looks, it's a show car right now because it's sitting in the garage getting worked on, but now it's going to be a Pike Peak car here in June, and maybe in uh, August it'll be back on the dirt. I'm excited to have all that going on with the Broncos. Oh, man, I love it. And, hey, you know what they say, right, which is that, uh, you know, every race car is a show car, but not every show car is a race car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So um, now looking back at last year, so last year was your first time running the mountain, and I know you learned a lot there. And what what are some things that uh, takeaways, you know, from the perspective of driving um, that you learned last year that you're going to maybe be applying this year? Oh, you know, it's it's more seat time that's that's the biggest thing is i was trying to get as much seat time as i possibly could we were first to the line every every practice day trying to get more and more seat time which who knows if it hurt us hindsight's always twenty twenty. but looking back you know that seat time helped out a bunch so coming back to pike peak for a second year will uh definitely be an advantage to us beings we already had a little bit of seat time so we can start off with that seat time in mind you know yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the seat time is is once you have the the technicalities, you know, making the car do what it needs to do, it's all on you then. It's on you as the driver to have that seat time and, and do what you need with it. Um, so is there anything else plan wise, you know, that you're doing this year that you maybe didn't do last year? Yeah. Um, so the we we did a bunch of work to the Bronco before Pike Seek last year. <clears throat> we added torsion bars to it. I mean, not that a little bit of fabricating to do because uh we have to weld some pipe in there that our torsion bar goes through and so um last year i ran a torsion bar on the front but not the rear and uh we we were kind of you know tossing the idea around of running a torsion bar on the rear well now now we're doing it this winter we're going to run a um, torsion bar on the rear try to help the bronco from rolling over too hard um which i think hurts us a little bit so uh just little little modifications like that i mean there is the fire extinguisher used to sit you know, really up high on the chassis. So we took the fire extinguisher and we moved it down as low as we possibly could, you know, like just little things like for our shocks, our, our reservoir for our shocks, they sit up higher, we move lower, you know, just every little ounce getting it lower is going to help us in the long run with that thing rolling over too hard. Wow. And that's not even something I, I considered as much of a challenge too, which is that, that center of gravity. I mean, when you're pulling that amount of G force on that kind of road and with those conditions, I guess that can really make a big difference. Yeah. It's crazy that you mentioned the G forces. Um, um, one of the guys that we race with up on Pike Peak, um, he actually, the first one or two testing days, he gets G force sickness from all the G forces up there on Pike Peak. So he, he gets out of the car and starts, you know, ralphing. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's one of those things, you know, uh, you know, usually you don't get car sick if you're the one driving, but maybe if you're driving on Pike's Peak, you can give yourself car sickness. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the combination with the altitude and the G-forces and all that stuff, I can see how that could happen, maybe. Right. Well, and, and it goes to show, I mean, how how strenuous and, and difficult the mountain really is, because you, you you not only have the you know, the conditions, the weather, the road, the, the, the frost heaves and the unevenness in the pavement now. You, you not only have all of 
that. You've got weather. You've got all this stuff. You've got the altitude on top of that. And it's incredibly hard on both the uh, the people racing it and the machines doing the uh, the racing as well. Yeah. And yeah, you mentioned the, the heaving and stuff. That's, that's really hard on aluminum chassis. And so one of the things we're doing too is going through the chassis and the, the aluminum stress crack every here, every little spot, you know, like you can find little stress cracks in the, in the chassis. So we go through and grind the stress cracks out and then reweld it back up. And it's just, it is, it is kind of tough on aluminum chassis with all the flexing and stuff that it does. Believe it or not, it's, it's kind of crazy. Well, yeah. And that's one of those things, you know, when I've talked to guys as well, I mean, you know, they say that sometimes like guys who've raced Pikes Peak before, before they paved it, uh, and some of my listeners might not know, but that they, they Pikes Peak was dirt and then they went ahead and paved it. And you'd think paving it would be sometimes better for getting up there and getting up there fast. But the problem is the ground and everything, you know, changes every single season because of the extreme weather conditions, the water, the ice, you know, expanding and contracting causes these dips and whoops in the asphalt now that had it been dirt, they would have just graded the road the week before the race and it would be fine. But now that it's asphalt, you you have to build your car around that. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's another challenging factor about Pike's Peak. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, you have to keep your expectations low and just take what the mountain will give you. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy how much it changes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Jimmy Ford, my guest, jimmyfordracing.com. Um, now, I can't wait to see you running there on the mountain. I'm really excited. I'm excited and grateful as well to be a part of it and being able to go up there and check it out. It's going to be um, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Now, listeners can support Jimmy as well. You can visit his website again, jimmyfordracing.com. There you can buy T-shirts, merch, or become a sponsor as well. Every little bit there helps to getting up that mountain as fast and as safe as possible. Definitely check it out. Jimmy, fingers crossed for good weather this year. Hopefully I'll be talking to you a couple more times before the race. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Pat. And thank you for joining me on this edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. Remember to join the Speed Council at thespeedcouncil.org. And a thank you to the members of the uh, Speed Council. Also, thank you to everybody who sent their car sounds in. Just know, if I didn't get to them this week, I will get to them next week. And uh, give this show a rating, by the way. Spotify, blow it up, six stars. And uh, you can find this show in other places as well, where fine shows and this one are downloaded. And I'll see you next week.